Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Amanda Galbraith. Hello, hello. Happy Friday to everyone. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we dig into the biggest stories of the week with some of the smartest people in the country, uh, including iHeartRadio network hosts. So today on the show, we have Tamara Cherry, former crime reporter and founder of Pickup Communications, and Ken Eastwood, morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario. Ken and Tamara, welcome back. Thank you so much. I always like that because everybody kind of gets their rhythm and talks over each other, but everyone's enthusiastic, which is a good, <laughs> a good way to start the show. Uh, and we've got some big stories this week and some interesting ones. And, and this first one is, um, I think, a big international story, certainly a, a story that we've covered quite a bit on this show and something, um, given the, the action that's happened over the last week, I feel is important to talk about. So there has been significant movement on the war in Ukraine over the past week. Um, if anyone who's been paying attention would know the war is not going well or as expected for Russian plat- President Vladimir Putin. But over the last week, Ukraine's armed forces effectively evicted forces from Kharkiv in the north, which was with a remarkable counteroffensive. And in response, two days ago, Putin came out in a bizarre speech in order of the following the conscription of 300,000 troops which is a huge deal in Russia because to date basically they've used existing armed forces um, so that has restricted the impact on the people in Russia a quote referendum in four Ukrainian region currently occupied by Russia how you have a referendum in areas occupied by foreign forces is is up to many questions including being questioned by the international community and he also threatened the west with nuclear retaliation because of threats to russia's territorial integrity those three steps are all things he's avoided for months throughout this war that he started in february so how is ukraine responding earlier this week the evan solomon show spoke with lisa vasilenko a ukrainian mp in kiev honestly Keep calm and carry on. That's uh, that's the Ukrainian reaction. The war still continues. Russia remains an aggressor with their uh, uh, imperialistic ambitions. And Ukraine is still stuck fighting this existential war. Uh, we don't have any other choice but to win. If we don't win, we cease to exist. By the way, that's the most Ukrainian response ever, which is these are the people that, you know, Google how to make Molotov cocktails at home when this thing started. Uh, this week, CBC also reported that Ukraine has asked the Canadian government for more military hardware as it continues this counteroffensive. Yes. So the ask came in about three weeks ago. Um, they've asked for more light armored vehicles, more howitzers, um, more winter clothing for troops. Today, Canada's committed about $629 million in military aid to Ukraine. Um, some of that has been delayed in arriving. A lot of it has come from our existing stockpiles. The Russian economy, as we would know, as characterized by one reporter, has been turned into a glorified gas station for China. They're increasingly isolated, and retired Major General David Fraser joined CTV News Channel this morning to talk about the dangers of that and how it's evident Putin is feeling desperate. This demonstrates that support for the war and support for Putin might be uh, a little bit weakened from all of this, which would embolden the West to even put more pressure on Putin to... uh, uh, try to prevent uh, any more further mobilization. So this is actually a good news story for us and a bad news story for Russian men. So, you know, as we've been watching this, and I think it was big news in the beginning, and it sort of pops up randomly, but to me I feel like it's an important thing to talk about today. Ken, just curious to you, do you think this is a turning point in the war in Ukraine? Do we feel like this is going to keep on for another six months, or is this, is this sort of a, a, a major difference that we could see an end to this in the, in the coming months perhaps? Nope. Is Ken there? 
Maybe not. Uh, Tamara? Yeah, I'm, he- I'm here now. Oh, yeah, we yes. got you. Right. Yeah. I wasn't hearing you there for a while, Amanda. Yeah, couldn't hear you. Okay. But- so, sorry. Do you want me to ask the question again, or did you guys hear yes, it? Please we do. Did, we didn't hear anything. I'm <laughs> sure oh, it's great. brilliant, but repeat Perfect. it again. <laughs> <laughs> Live radio friends. So basically, I was just talking about the war in Ukraine and saying, given what's happened this past week with um, them taking back the north, uh, pushing back you know, the conscription of Russian troops, uh, Putin's reaction, threatening nuclear, you know, retaliation for the first time. Do we feel we're at a turning point at the war in Ukraine? And maybe I'll go first to Ken. Uh, I, I don't know that I would call it a, a turning point. I would call it, um, gosh, I, I think I would call it a desperate dig in point. Like any one of those three things you mentioned would would seem desperate in my eyes. And I I, I look at this like how would the average Russian person see this? You know, they see uh, 300,000 reservists being called up. That feels desperate. The message that sends to the average Russian is we're losing this war. Then um, the nuclear threat is I mean, the, uh, the threat of nuclear weapons to me is the ultimate desperation move. And I think that's what really scares me here is if he has indeed dug his heels in where he is, uh, you know, he's given up lots of territory. The uh, U- Ukrainians have, have taken a lot back. But uh, I-, I feel like this is his way. We'll call these referendums, quote unquote, referendums that will legitimize where we are now. We can draw some new borders, dig in there, threaten nuclear war and then uh, pick up the fight from there. And Tamara, you know, it's, it, I think the, these are it's interesting, right? The nuclear Putin hasn't said nuclear war like out and out for the duration mm-hmm. of this. Like, these are all things he's threatened just now. Um, he has not conscripted troops. Originally, they deployed about 190,000 estimate. It's there's roughly estimate that about 100,000 to 120,000 troops remain, you know, to go to the general population and say, OK, I'm going to conscript, you know, you know, reservists, normal Russians. That's that's a whole other thing. What's your take on where we're at in this war? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm no security analyst or expert on Ukraine or Russia or anything like that. I don't know whether to feel optimistic or pessimistic about what happened this week, because I I agree with Ken that I certainly think that this signals um, desperation to us. I don't know if that if it's the same signal that uh, Russians are getting. But, you know, we're seeing flights, the the cost of flying out of Russia right now has gone through the roof because of such high demand, people trying to get out of the country, the train stations all backlogged, people trying to just, everyone's just trying to get out of Dodge. And um, the thing about Vladimir Putin is, you know, I was listening to a podcast this morning, I don't remember which one, I had a couple on the go, but um, the commentator pointed out that, well, uh, Mr. Putin has been increasingly acting like a dictator throughout his uh, presidency. Um, He has remained like a populist to a great extent. He wants his people to be happy. So the Russian population has been getting a very different message than we have. They've been shielded from a lot of things. Um, He's been very quick to stomp out any criticism of the war. Um, And now to to seemingly upset these people because they are being sent off. And, uh, you know, I was seeing, I think in a New York Times article yesterday, um, some screen grabs from a telegram channel in Russia where all these people were asking questions like, will I have to go if I have a disabled child and I'm the only parent working? Yes, you will. Will I have to go if I have three kids? Yes, you will. Only if you have four kids, can you stay away? I heard this morning that that they are rounding up people who are protesting this move and conscripting them immediately. So 
I, I don't know. I, I hope that this is one last desperate attempt. Attempt. And sorry, Amanda and Ken, I know I've been talking for a long time. There's just so many <laughs> things. But but one last thing I want to say is the very scary thing is one of one of the groups that have been really up against Mr. Putin has been a, another political party that, you know, their biggest criticism of Putin has has been that he has not gone far enough with this war. So if he starts pandering to them, and this seems to be what this is all about, then how far will he take it? That That is scary. Mm-hmm. And Ken, maybe real quick, I've got about 45 seconds left here. Um, do, do you think that Canada's done enough? We've committed $625 million since February 2022. We have, I mean, we've basically raided our stores. There's nothing left. And there's a lot of issues even just with the supply chain. So do you think Canada needs to do more or have we done enough? I honestly, I do think we've done enough, and I, because I think we we really have to delicately toe that line, don't we? Because and and Putin is he's just not a stupid man. He understands this that he uh, he can claim that anything any overt action is an act of of outright war, and I mean this is that is not a fight that you want to to jump headlong into. Yeah, and it's the other interesting thing too, just even researching this. I mean, there has been criticism of how we've, for example, we promised to send some uh, vehicles uh, June of last year, or le- like last June, I should say, 20, 39 armored t- troop carriers. First of those just shipped recently, right? There's lots of issues with the supply chain, even. They just weren't ready for something like this. So, anyway, we'll continue to watch uh, what happens with the war, um, what happens with the conscription, and also what happens with Vladimir Putin. A video of the Prime Minister singing Bohemian Rhapsody in a hotel lobby two days before the Queen's funeral has caused international uproar. Faux pas, or should we leave the man alone? That's next on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. This is Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello, hello, happy Friday. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we talk about some of the biggest stories of the week with some really smart people. And this week on the show, we have Tamara Cherry, <laughs> former... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Who laughed at that? Sorry, that was, that was me. <laughs> Every time you say that, I laugh. <laughs> well, Ken, you're our smart man. I'm always happy no, to have you. No, he's laughing because I'm on the show, Tamara. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tamara's here. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, also, it's like a compliment to myself without being obvious about it. So we're all very intelligent <laughs> contributors to this. Um, and that, obviously, is the voice. First of Ken Eastwood, morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario. And Tamara Cherry, former crime reporter and founder of Pickup Communications. So this story made a lot of news, and I was I was kind of 50-50 on talking about it because I think it was widely talked about. But my perspective is I feel like this is a bit of a tempest in a teapot. Um, but I think it's in, in liquid, literally a British teapot, if you will. Uh, uh-huh. So the Prime Minister's office continues to defend the Prime Minister after a video of him singing in a hotel lobby surfaced uh, and it was taken two days before the Queen's funeral in London. The PM was singing Bohemian Rhapsody, a tune by British rock band Queen, while acclaimed Quebec musician Gregory Charles played piano. This is how he sounded. (laughs) 
Now, when this video has kicked off quite the debate here in Canada, and I would say it sort of seems to be 50-50, some saying this is embarrassing, while others saying leave the man alone, it was after hours, he's not on his official duties then. Uh, I would also say it wasn't him alone. Um, his office did confirm after dinner Saturday the Prime Minister joined a small gathering with members of the Canadian delegation who've come together to pay tribute to the life and service of Her Majesty, um, Gregory Charles, a renowned Quebec musician and Order of Canada recipient, in case that's important, played piano in the hotel lobby, which resulted with some members of the delegation, including the PM, joining. Now, in the UK, however, this thing landed, I don't know, like a fart in church, sort of. It was like very much not appreciated. Uh, headlines everywhere were, you know, people were scandalized, saying it was disrespectful. So I have an opinion, but before I sort of lay that out, I want to hear what the panel has to say. So, Ken, I'm going to go to you first. How do you okay. feel about the video and the Prime Minister singing Bohemian Rhapsody two days before the Queen's funeral? So when I first saw it, my my first thought was, really, this is this is scandalous? These guys do not know our Prime Minister. Like, this guy can scandal <laughs> way harder of, <laughs> of all of the embarrassing international incidents this man has been at the center of. This one barely even registers in my mind. However, I am not a British person and I am not, you know, I'm not as connected uh, psychologically and emotionally to the to the Queen. But who has not been like at a convention, you know, you're hanging out in the hotel bar, somebody who actually knows how to play starts playing the piano. Next thing you know, everybody's singing along, right? You, you can see how this all kind of developed, right? The difference hmm. is he should have known. He should have known where he was. So what was it embarrassing? Eh, meh. Was it offensive? I don't think so, uh, but it probably was to some. Should he have known better? Absolutely, he should have. Uh, and I think, you know, you read the statement, Amanda, from the, uh, the prime minister's office. I think that a lot of this is their fault. So in that statement, they said uh, the delegation came together to pay tribute to the life and service of Her Majesty. And I think a lot of people took that to mean the prime minister got up and decided he was going to sing as a tribute to the queen queen's bohemian rhapsody <laughs> right a lot of people made that leap which it's not it's not that but that i think that's how a lot of people took it i think it would have uh, been taken better if if a lot of people took it that way <laughs> it was doing for the queen this one's for the queen oh my gosh tamara what's your take sorry should i continue <laughs> okay so yeah he should have known better because i mean he knows that first off there's a whole disinformation machine that is looking for any reason mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be legitimate it doesn't have, have to have actually happened uh it doesn't even need to be like a real tweet that he sent out but they're looking for any reason to throw shade his way and in this case like what an offering because it was a real thing and it actually happened do i care no i do not care because guess what the prime minister is a human being and I know we hold into higher standards and everything, but listen, I was at a funeral, gosh, I think it was a few weeks ago now. And the day before the funeral, you know, we all gathered at the, you know, all the, the closest relatives gathered together and people are laughing and they're laughing through tears. And that is, you know, he's, he's not sit, sitting Shiva for crying out loud. He's there to honor the queen. I don't think that this was disrespectful what he was doing. I think the a-hole in the back with the camera who was just there to just taking that video for this very reason to get people riled up. They're the a-hole. Like 
like because they're doing it because they know it's gonna pee people off i'm sorry i'm really like walking the edge with <laughs> right whether that was tamara cherry crtc people that was not me <laughs> um yeah so my take is is i think kind of similar a little similar to yours in that um i sorry i should say to ken's and that i think like i think candidly he should have he should have known better um i also think as far as yeah scandals of this prime minister if you kind of call it a scandal um it this is doesn't even like rate for me like i'm not yeah. overly fussed by it i'm sort of like eh like you know probably not the best time but who doesn't sing to karaoke to bohemian rhapsody like we have a family tradition where every family christmas or thanksgiving we all sing it at the top of our lungs i'm a little disappointed that his rendition was so theatrical not surprised uh, yeah <laughs> i would not how i would do it I, but i think there is a time and a place and knowing the sensitivity of the uk here's the thing that i think he should like this is where i think he should know better is like the uk did things like they they dimmed the beeps on the cash register machines like you know when you you mm. like beep beep click through they, wow. they, they muted that a little bit because during the the morning period like they did all kinds of things so obviously there it is very sensitive mm -hmm. and we are the largest country in the commonwealth um the queen came to canada more than anywhere else like the prime minister is like very well spoken about his affection for the queen so i think that is genuine it just this to me feels like not the time or the place that being said yeah, I don't really care that much. UK media, on the other hand, though, had a very, very different take on that, which I thought was quite interesting. It's just how they covered it versus how Canadian media covered it. And, you know, Canadian media seemed to kind of take the position that he can have a personal life if he so chooses. And I guess the question I would ask you, Ken, is does this qualify as personal? Like, he's not on the clock in theory. He is with the Canadian delegation, however. Does the Prime Minister ever get to go off the clock and just kind of, you know, let his hair down and do these sorts of things? Or should he always have an eye to, I'm in the public, I could be reported on? Yeah, I I think I I lean more towards yes, he gets he gets personal time, but you can't I mean you have to balance your personal time and you know take your personal time at the appropriate time and place, right? Like if uh if if you want to go to a karaoke bar, well you don't just go to a karaoke bar, you know, you you hire the karaoke bar, seal it off and and go in and and keep the uh keep the you know, the looky-loos with their uh, cell phones out who want to record it for you, right? And, and I think that was the case here. He should have just, he should have, he did not read the room, right? And it just yeah. came off as, pardon the pun, tone deaf here. I think he read that room. He didn't read the wider room. I think everybody <laughs> yeah. there was having a didn't fine read. time, including this, you know, very respected musician was playing along with him. Like, I just, he didn't read the wider room exactly. And he sh he should have known better in that respect. But listen, I mean, this is not Bojo having parties during lockdown uh, in, in the UK, you know, and, and he he got kicked out of office because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just mentioning there, Amanda, about the dimming down the beeps on the cash register, it, it drives home a, a very compelling point, I must say. They're, yeah, and like, to be fair, when I die, I want to have a big bender where everyone does shots and sings Bohemian Rhapsody at the top of their lungs. Like, I'm totally down with that. <laughs> um, but I'm not the Queen of England, and <laughs> I'm not a public who is overly sensitive, and I'm not probably going to have government representatives at my funeral by then. Hopefully, I'll be so old that they're all um, passed off. But uh, but yeah, so I think uh, this is me is like, read the room. Not a big, not the biggest scandal, but certainly got tons and tons of media attention, tons of international media attention. Uh, and I think maybe just another example of where um, sometimes politically you can make maybe a better, smarter decision, but not not irrevocable. Uh, turning to other things this government's been up to in the longest pre-announcement 
in history, the federal government is reportedly mm-hmm. poised to ease COVID travel restrictions. Is it about time or too soon? That's next on Free For All Friday on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The Free For All Friday Roundtable continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. I'm your host, Amanda Galbraith, where we dig into some of the biggest stories of the week. And with me on the panel this week, we have Tamara Cherry, former crime reporter and founder of Pickup Communications and Ken Eastwood, morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario. So this may be the longest pre-announcement tease in Canadian history. Like, truly, this thing has been going on for over a week. It may go on for another week. Uh, but there are multiple reports from all kinds of sources that the federal government is poised to lift travel restrictions on September 30th. Uh, so what that means is they're going to be making the much beloved and much very effective Arrive Can, I hope you can hear the sarcasm, um, <laughs> app optional uh, in the country after the 30th. They will be dropping vaccine requirements to enter. And the future of masking, which inexplicably remains on inter- on, on any trains and planes, uh, remains unknown. So we don't know if that's going to happen. These reports are welcome news to Walt Judas, CEO of Tourism Industry of BC. So we do know just from hearing from different tourism operators, different destinations around the province, Arrive Can was one of the barriers for international visitation. Ryan Burles, president of Black Ball Ferry Line in BC, also agrees. Our foots are down 35%. We feel that's mostly attributable to that, to Arrive Can. Oh, Arrive Can. Today, the Tourism and Travel Roundtable hosted a news conference where a group of doctors basically said, I'm, they didn't say this, I'm paraphrasing, it's about time. Here is infectious disease physician Dr. Zane Chagla on masking in airports when he was asked directly by a reporter. What's happening in the overlying society and the community probably affects more of transmission than, you know, particular mandates, and including you know, things like masking. He also made the point that airplanes are a very well-ventilated space. It's probably the most well-ventilated space any of us will go to who don't work in the healthcare system or don't work in particular industries, um, you know, that has incredible air exchanges, incredible filtration. I'm laying some track here, people, for this debate, as you can tell. For context, most (laughs) European countries have dropped these requirements before the summer began. The U.S. still does require proof of vaccination, so we'll see what happens. Now, as mentioned, the government will not confirm or deny the changes. Instead, they said they will listen to the science. And here's a clip of the Prime Minister talking about that. And we will continue to do that. And I can assure you uh, that when we make decisions on how we can move forward and uh, change the situation uh, around various Uh, tools that we have in place to keep Canadians safe, Uh, Canadians will be the first to know. Indeed. Uh, So my take on this, we have mass immunity people. We have access to lots of treatments. I think as individuals, you should be able to make your own decisions at this point in the pandemic. That means if you want to wear a mask on a plane, Godspeed, you should totally do it. But if I don't have to mask up at a game on the TTC. I mean, the only place I still have to mask is when I go visit my OB at the doctor's office, basically. So I think the decorative masking on planes when people are drinking and eating to me is silly. But maybe I am just far out to lunch on this one compared to the rest of Canada or maybe the panel. Uh, So can you first, are you good with this change? Or do you think it's... yeah? You're good with this change, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. To, to quote Lizzo, it is about damn time. <laughs> uh, it's got, honestly, I, so 
I actually would rather see the masking go as opposed to the arrive cam app. Uh, unpopular opinion. I like the arrive can app. Really? Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll get to that in a sec, but the reason I, the, so the masking, <laughs> uh, just the masking just doesn't make sense because how many of us have mastered the art of eating a single bag of Chex mix by eating one piece every <laughs> three minutes, right? Like, oh no, no, I'm eating. I'm, I'm yeah, no, mm -hmm. still, still eating. And yep. I've been drinking the the same Pepsi for the last three hours, also. So I'm, you know, I'm good. Uh, but so we took a trip in uh, in August. We went to to Mexico, and flying into Mexico, you get the little card on the plane, and you got to scramble like, oh my god, who's got a pen? I got to fill out this customs declaration before we land. And then you land, and nobody even looks at it, and you freaked out for you know 45 minutes for no good reason. Arrive can coming back filled all the information out in the uh, in the hotel lobby before I left. Uh, got to the airport, boom, all done. It was it was seamless. So I think the problem with the ArriveCan app was when they launched it, it was a huge PR mistake. They should have launched the ArriveCan app as saying, "Oh, look, we've you know we've streamlined, we've we've made it electronic, an electronic way to to streamline your entry process by amalgamating all of your travel documents into one place." Oh, by the way, you also need a vaccine certificate, and it's got to be in there too. But, <laughs> right, and because yeah. using it, because you do all your you, you, your customs declaration on that thing too, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, so I think there was a lot of it's a shocker. The government uh, guilty of miscommunication. Yeah, it's actually interesting you say that because, you know, I actually was in this, like, my um my partner flew back to Detroit when I was visiting my family in Windsor, so we just skipped over to pick him up, and which you do all the time, right? And then we all had to fill out the ArriveCan app on the way back. Because my stuff's preloaded, it was just sort of, like, clicked a couple buttons, and then I was done. And I was like, oh, yeah. this, is, this wasn't terrible. But I do think positioning it as a COVID tool as opposed to a digitization tool, and, I mean, some of it is a bit hanky with, with folks. People have had challenges. Um, it, the masking thing drives me bonkers, and the idea that that may be kept um, t just because, poll like, candidly, because apparently polling says it's popular is 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 crazy to me. Um, uh, Tamara, where are you on this? Uh, I know you've been. I think feel I feel like you've been like a bit more cautious than me with COVID, which is probably most people, candidly. Uh, <laughs> but I've been over it for a while. But uh, but where do you feel about about these uh, restrictions dropping? I don't care about the masks. Like <laughs> I, I'm not gonna wear them. Like I'm, I'm past the point of wearing a mask if I uh, don't need to wear one. But it doesn't bother me. Like if I have to wear a mask, I, and, and I think it's about time that they get rid of this arrive cabin app because, quite frankly, it's just not effective. I know somebody who was in the states traveling around quite a bit this summer, and when she came back to Canada. She and her family all had COVID symptoms, and as it turned out, COVID. And when they filled out the ArriveCan app saying, yep, got all these symptoms, they got to the border, and they're just like, okay, go ahead. There was nothing. It did nothing. So oh, wow. why do we have this app? Yeah. Uh, why, do we, <laughs> why do we have this app? And I guess the question maybe for both of you, too, is kind of media folks, is, you know, typically a government doesn't leak this stuff over two weeks like, which just appears to be what's happening. I mean, to the point where I think the Star, Toronto Star reported on it, and then something came out from Major League Baseball, who basically said, oh, if the Jays make it into playoffs, we can play together. And then somebody else confirmed it. What do you make, Ken, of the rollout of this? Is this a flub, or is this fine because the news is, you know, being widely talked about, and frankly, at the end of the day, lifting these restrictions is the right thing to do? It kind of feels like one of those cases where 
you know, it might have even been strategic. Let's just release a little bit of information and yeah. see how this goes over. And then, okay, yeah, that went okay. Let's, uh, let's, you know, let's maybe sneak a little bit more out. And, you know, uh, it was sort of death by a thousand cuts with this release. And, I, you know, I, I think it was probably more strategic than anything. It's taking a page out of the Doug Ford playbook. I, my God, how many times have we had this happen, like, over the last year or two under... Ontario's, you know, Doug Ford leadership. That's it's they he's they let out the information, then they listen to talk radio. What is Amanda say? Okay, that's what we'll base our <laughs> that's what we'll base our yeah. policy on. Uh, Amanda constructed an entire lead into this segment to prove that this is a good idea, and please do it. I was, I was like, this, this must this must be done. It is. It's ridiculous that it it remains. Yeah, no, I mean, I've done this too when I worked in government, right, for politicians, is you, you kind of mm -hmm. let the you let the bubble out and then just see how it lands. Um, and then when I actually saw today the Travel and Tourism Roundtable press conference, I was like, oh, okay. So they're going to, yeah. like, the bunch of doctors are going to come out and say this makes sense. They're going to let everybody kind of come out and echo this stuff and then do the uh, do the classic um, pol political lead from behind thing. Actually, But I did mm -hmm. think it would come out today because typically the government has announced the stuff on Friday. So maybe we'll see, uh, maybe we'll see a, a gift to us on our uh, on our final my final show um before i go on maternity leave on friday of next week where they will make the uh will they will make the announcement but hopefully hopefully masking is removed that's one piece apparently that we're hearing rumors is still up in the air whether or not that is going to be confirmed or not and i also travel by the way internationally and it was funny because you we were flying over to europe so it was you had to mask but flying back i got so used to not wearing it and all of a sudden coming back from um England, it was like, you have to wear your mask now. I was like, this is crazy. So anyway, we will continue to watch that, how that evolves. The panel has spoken. So any government people listening, please heed us. And also I will say the text board is a little on fire about folks being mad about this. <laughs> Do it. Um, this next story is a bit wild. A video clip of a Canadian teacher wearing oversized prosthetic breasts has drawn international attention. Should teachers be free to express themselves? That's next on Free For All Friday. I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. You're listening to Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Friday. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we dig into the biggest stories of the week. Uh, today on the show, we've had Tamara Cherry, former crime reporter and founder of Pickup Communications, and Ken Eastwood, morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario. Now, this story is very, is interesting to me. Um, and I will say the visuals are an important part of it. I will do my very best to describe them with sensitivity on the show today. Uh, an Ontario teacher has sparked international controversy for wearing oversized, and I mean oversized, prosthetic breasts to work. So this past week, video emerged of a teacher conducting a class wearing what I can only say are enormous, enormous silicone breasts with very visible nipples that extend well below the teacher's waistline. Now, the teacher is a, is a shop teacher. They're transgendered and began identifying as a female last year, said the school board. Now, the school board is supportive of the teacher. Uh, and, you know, I think we can all be very supportive of transgendered people in society as they transition and, and find their way. Uh, that being said, there are questions about the professionalism of this given, frankly, as a female student who was, you know, 
it's very strict dress code. We've seen lots of coverage. I think if a female student showed up like this, guaranteed she'd be pulled in the principal's office and gotten in trouble. Uh, so this debate has sort of kicked off. The students actually took some video of this, which went viral on social media and got picked up by all kinds of, you know, American bloggers and all this kind of stuff. But my question to the panel, and I think it's, it's an important one, is I think that the teacher should be free to express themselves, but is there a limit to professionalism and how you do this? Like, I don't even know. Like, as a woman, I don't know how you'd function with something like that attached to your chest. Uh, so, you know, maybe, Tamara, I'll go to you first. What do you, like, do you think it's okay for the teacher to be wearing a giant breastplate to work every day? Or should there be sort of a, a balance of reasonableness here? This is a really difficult conversation. And I know... Um, because our society is so used to making things, you know, putting, wanting things to be black and white. I know for a lot of people that this is black and white and that it is wrong, but I don't see it that way. Um, I see this and I can't help but think that there is more going on than meets the eye. Um, I'm also not a transgender woman, so I have no idea what it feels like to, you know, not feel like I'm in the right body and then start the transition and then adapt to the body that I feel that I'm supposed to be in and try to juggle that with what society thinks is appropriate. Like we kind of go down a, we go down a slippery slope of talking about, you know, how, what, what size of breasts are too big. Um, and is it okay for women yeah, to show no, their nipples? Because I actually think that it is okay for women. Women have nipples. We also wear underwear, but we're not supposed to have <laughs> panty or nipples. You know, if the men go into a cold room and we see their nipples, it's no big whoop. But I, I don't see her breaking any obvious rules here. And you can't be body shaming. Like she is just, she's put the school board in an obviously um, difficult position. I, I don't envy them. But I, I also, I don't envy her because I can't imagine she's had a very easy life with, with everything that's led up to this. And now uh, being a laughing stock of so many tabloids, like in the United Kingdom, they're talking about this for crying out loud. Yeah, and I will say there is a video of her operating a skill saw and with with her breastplate on, and very she does it very well. Like I would not, I would be I would be concerned, but she's she's doing the class. Apparently, she's a very well liked teacher. Um, Ken, where do you sit on this this sort of debate? Yeah, you're right. And, you know, Tamara said it right off the top. It is it's a really difficult conversation. And, you know, you, you I'm trying really hard to be to be sensitive because I don't know this person. I don't know what their what this person's intent is beyond deciding that they want to identify as a specific um, gender. Um, and Amanda, you asked, you know, is is there a limit to expression? Is there a, a limit to um, how far they can go to express themselves in that manner. And according to the law, no. Um, gender expression, as we know, is protected under the Human Rights Code. But it really, and, and you know, aside from the law and, uh, and aside from, you know, like I said, I don't know this person, it feels like this is someone who who wants to stand out. The the transgender people that I I am familiar with, that I know, choose to identify as another gender and then do what they can to blend into that gender. It feels like this is someone who, for some reason, wants to stand out. And again, I don't know them. I don't know what their motivation might be. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, this is not, this is not a discreet 
you know, you know breastplate is is very visible. It's large. I mean, it's, it's like a female. If a female student, I agree with you, Tamara. Ron, like women have nipples, and guess what? Yes, they get hard sometimes, and like it, we, it should not be that shocking to people, nor should it be that <laughs> shameful. And I think actually one of the things that Gen Z has done is they've sort of it's have kind of a free the breast movement, where a lot of them don't mm-hmm. wear bras now. And I think a Godspeed yeah. to you. Like you know, what I I should have thought of that when I was twenty five as opposed to now. Yes, or I might look like this teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, but I think it, it, I think it actually it's an interesting debate, right? Is it like what is I actually fully support the right to to transition? I think it's good. It's amazing to see a shop teacher do it, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think it puts the school and and ever all of us kind of in an awkward because you know this is not your atypical. Um, but it, well, we'll continue to watch wait, this story. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, you can go. Okay, you have like forty-five seconds, position. though, my friend, because we but have another it topic. Doesn't put, but it doesn't put us into an awkward position. We're putting ourselves there by choosing to talk about this. Her life has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with her. Does it maybe put the students in an awkward position? Well, that's a conversation for the the school to have. But it doesn't put us in an awkward position. This is a this is a her thing. This is a journey she's going through, and I'm. Frankly, I'm not bothered by it. I just think it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult um, conversation. Well, I think I think what it does different. is it it has us questioning, you know, what like it's all fine and good for me to say, oh, it's great for people to transition, but not when it makes me uncomfortable because this looks weird. Like, I think that is a yeah. thing we have to call ourselves out on, right? And that's what I'm saying is that like it that makes like those visuals make me uncomfortable, fair or not. And I think I should question that mm-hmm. and talk about it because I think it's important as part of how we evolve and, and deal with this. That's that's the mm-hmm. but real real quick before we go. So the feds have announced federal government's announced a review of cannabis legislation. Now, this was a year later than they were supposed to. It's four years after cannabis was legalized. Believe it or not, people, it's been four years since you've been able to legally smoke up in this country. Is there one thing you would change about legalization? And I only have like 30 seconds for each of you. I have something, but Ken, I'll go to you first. One thing you would change four years in. Nothing. Uh, honestly, I, I mean, from what I've seen and it, with my experience is very limited with it. Uh, full disclosure, I've made two purchases and uh, everything was fine. <laughs> but would I change anything? I would wait until we do a full review and find out just how effective this has been at doing things like clamping down on the illegal market first. Tamara, anything you would yeah. change four years into legalization? I, I think clamping down on the illegal market should be the absolute um, number one priority. And I, I'm not a, a cannabis user, but from everything I've read on this, one of the problems with the legal market is the potency level that a lot of people think that it should be higher. And, and so they're just going to keep going to their illegal dealers or all these, you know, seemingly legitimate places that are actually illegal. So I think that they should be exploring that when, let's face it, hopefully Canada will be decriminalizing every drug in the next few years. And also let's make a rule about not having um, like a gazillion cannabis stores on one yeah. block of Queen Street, rest in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. That is mine. That is mine. <laughs> but other than better weed, which is what people yes. are texting in, is that I do not want a cannabis store on every like every other store. It drives me nuts. But not that that is part of this review. But if anyone's listening, please add it in. All right, we are run out of racetrack. Thank you so much, Ken and Tamara, for coming on the show today. Thank you, technical producer Tony and Sam, for producing the show. I just want to send some thoughts out to the East Coast Canadians prepping for Hurricane Fiona. Hope you get your storm chips and you're all safe. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday. I will see you next week.